Watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. Welcome to another episode of the Windsor Film Club, the underground club of movie podcasts focusing on the underseen, underappreciated, or downright weird films that not enough people talk about. I'm your host, Reina Cervantes, and with me as always is my wonderful host as well, Madison. Hi, everybody. And also joining us as always is our wonderful tech and knowledgeable host, Steph. Hello. <laughs> hey, we're sounding hella good right now after hella good numerous weeks of technical difficulties. It's a trend for us. We're fighters. <laughs> we, and we're survivors. It's what we do. So this is a pretty exciting week for us, is it not? Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so excited. Fuck yeah, that's the response I want to hear. Um, <laughs> and we have an equally as exciting guest. Joining us this week in the Windsor Film Club is... Prince Knight, founder and operator of the award-winning Bloody Disgusting podcast, Nightlight. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Hi. Once again, thank you for joining us. Sorry uh, you have been run through the gamut. That is our technical issues. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no worries. Really, it's a rite of passage. It's like the initiation into the Windsor Film Club is you have (laughs) to go through these horrendous technical difficulties (laughs) with us, and then you become one of us. That's what makes it an underground club, for sure. (laughs) I have to write that in my review when I when I'm done. Like, yeah, Windsor Film Club. I had to jump through hoops and hurdles and eat snakes. (laughs) 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 No, seriously, thank y'all so much for having me. This is honestly a blast so far. Um, Even though we've had the technical difficulties, I feel like we've grown together as human beings. So I'm accepting it as a rite of passage. Just for listeners who don't know, can you give us um, not necessarily an elevator? pitch but a rundown of who you are what you do what you're proud of yeah 100 yes yeah, so as you stated earlier i am the host of bloody discussing award winning nightlight a horror movie podcast um that's been a lot of fun i've been doing that for about uh, two years now a little bit more than two years which is a blast um so check that out if you want to but uh Beyond that, I'm also writing my first feature film, which I can't share too many details on like who I'm working with and so on and so forth. Just know I'm doing it. <laughs> um, and uh, gosh, hopefully we can expect more news about that publicly soon. Um, I'm also in mental health and horror documentary as well. Um, I'm doing a whole bunch of shit in horror, y'all. <laughs> yeah, wow. So That's awesome. so exciting. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, it is exciting. Um, and I, I do feel proud of myself at times, but today is one of those yeah. days I feel proud. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Hell yeah. You're living the dream. For those of you that are also unaware, there's actually an episode of Nightlight with me on it. That's fucking right. Yeah, you're a knife plus heart. <laughs> yeah, that's a real good one to start with. Uh, I have no biases <laughs> towards that episode or anything. <laughs> you were a fantastic guest. So I highly have a bias about it so please listen to that episode too because that was a fantastic episode for those of you that don't know what knife plus heart is it's a horror film about a serial killer loose in the gay porn industry fuck yeah sounds amazing a great double feature for x as well yeah, by the I was way just about to Ooh, say yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm to think of it yeah you know it's a great what? double feature I'm about to double feature that dude <laughs> make it happen um anyway before we jump into our very exciting film that 
we're covering this week. I don't know why I'm spacing out my words like William Shatner, because I know I'm not him. <laughs> um, regardless, uh, let's just do like a quick round robin of like what's something like a little underseen that you've seen this week. Um, Madison, you got any interesting watches this week? Yeah, I haven't been able to watch too much on TV, but I had two days in a row of really fun, like accidental double features. Um, so one of the days I saw the Robert Pattinson Batman the same day I watched Good Time. And then the next day I watched uh, Christian Bale's Batman the same day I watched American Psycho, which was just really fun. Very fun two days of Batman and then their other movie movies so that was good <laughs> you know what did you catch the little good time reference at the beginning of batman yes, yes. Um, oh, i just Spoilers. talked about this with someone yeah <laughs> wait i haven't seen it yet i'm trying to watch it friday uh, now that like my wife and kid are uh, they're gone for a little bit i'm, I'm now could spend three hours by myself <laughs> <laughs> like, the family's out of the house now it's family's time for me to live my life exactly time <laughs> for batman so i'm, I'm excited man <laughs> well <laughs> wonderful wonderful uh steph you got anything good this week i understand you may have just come back from something pretty exciting i did i just only mere minutes ago i just got home from a screening of everything everywhere all at once and it was incredible it was incredible i truly think it was the best movie of the year so far i thought it was so good that's i don't want to spoil anything it hasn't come out everywhere yet but yeah i i don't have any hesitation about that statement like the best movie of the year 100 i loved it so much it was so fun and whimsical and weird but it was also so full of heart and it had just such a great balance between those two things it was incredible. I won't say anything more because I think people just need to go in blind, but it was so, so good. That one's uh, made by Daniels, correct? The guys who did Swiss yeah. Army Man? Yes. Very ah. similar vibes. Um, I was not into that movie as much as it oh, pains man. me to say. Yeah, I wasn't oh, no. a fan of Swiss Army Man as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think this one is less weird <laughs> than that yeah. one. It's not as like, <laughs> There's like hot dog fingers in this one, and but it's less weird. No, but that's but it's so, but it's funny. It's like hilariously, like weird. the weirdness makes it funny. Whereas I think in Swiss Army Man, the weirdness just kind of made you go like, what? Well, that's the thing. The weirdness in Swiss Army Man didn't bother me per se. It was just the fact that I was just kind of bored. Like I, I just didn't. I don't know. I just oh, wasn't you will not be bored yeah. during yeah. this. It's, it's no, so I, everything everywhere all, all at once looks incredible. It reminds me of Scott Pilgrim with all yes. the weirdness. Like I'm, yes. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to watch this. Yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, wow, this has like really big Scott Pilgrim vibes. It also has some like Eternal Sunshine vibes oh, with yeah. all the oh, surrealism. And the characters are all so interesting and complex. And it's just like, it's unlike any film I've ever seen. I'm very and excited. That's, that's all I can say about it. It was so good. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm ready to spend two and a half hours in that movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. You're going to double feature it with Batman. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I mean, the family, they are out of the house, so I can probably. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Prince, you got anything this week? you can talk Oof. about uh i can 
Yeah, uh, a film that I feel like is always underrated and that no one really talks about is 2010's The Crazies. Like, oh, I feel shit. like that's a movie that a lot of people don't really chat about, and we are covering currently for Nightlight um, Pandemic Horror Month because we've been oh, in, in this pandemic for two years. So I was like, perfect timing. But uh, so we're covering pandemic horror films and The Crazies is on there. And I forgot how much that movie just fucking rules. Like it is so much fun. It's adrenaline rush. And it literally starts in like the first 12 minutes of the movie. Like the movie <laughs> just goes yeah. after that 12 minutes. And I'm just like, this movie is criminally underrated like it's just it, i feel like a lot of people do not talk about this movie enough but so i did i talked about it for almost two and a half hours but yeah <laughs> what year did that one come out again 2010 yeah mm -hmm. i saw it when it came out but i haven't seen it in 12 years so maybe i'll oh, have to check it out again <laughs> so good please do yourself a favor because it's amazing I always, yeah. I always associate that with like one of my greatest like high school memories because like me and my friends tried to see it, but we were obviously underage and oh. we asked this <laughs> random couple in line because the box office was outside. They're like, we're like, can you just say you're our guardians? And they bought like <laughs> 15 of us tickets. So oh that we could get oh in. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. It fucking I've ruled. never seen this. Oh, oh, you have to check it out. It is so, so much fun. Yeah, you have to check it out because I, I remember watching it in college and it was just... For pound for pound, beat for beat, it was everything I loved. And when my friends left the theater with me, they're they're just like, that sucked. And I was like, What? You fucking oh, crazy. No. Did we watch the same movie? Like you're 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 nuts. Like you, you think you think that scene of that guy going in and stabbing people with pitchforks sucked? How dare you? <laughs> I was just about to say like, because we talked about pitchforks killings earlier, I was just about to say, yeah. wasn't that another pitchfork killing movie? <laughs> yes, it it's was. So good. I'm glad <laughs> right I remembered correctly. <laughs> it was 12 years ago. I don't remember. Uh, no, <laughs> that was fine. It, that is absolutely <laughs> correct. It's it's iconic. Oh my gosh! See, it even slightly stayed with you in your subconscious. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> which is, which is weird because it's like you don't expect that movie to be that good because it's a remake of Romero, which is almost right. blasphemy. Yeah, but uh, but even the Romero original like isn't that good. So this movie's like almost an improvement all around. Yeah, one hundred percent. And even the main actress is actually still in the Crazy 2010. She yeah. is uh the girl on the bike who's whistling and humming the strange tune. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, so yeah, that good. is her. S super fun cameo. That's a good movie. I love yeah. that movie. Besides that, I also want to shout out like. Tetsuo the Billet Man was another one that I watched, and the Alchemist Cookbook oh, is another <laughs> that's one. A, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, so those two on those two are just super fun watches. Hell yeah! Uh, I didn't I didn't watch too much these past couple weeks that I can talk about. Um, I did. I dragged my mom to see X. That's an experience. It, it is. <laughs> I fully expected her to be like, "Oh, you're sick in the head," but it ended, and she was like, "I loved it. I loved every moment of it." Oh um, wow, that's amazing! Yeah. She really that's loved like it. The coolest parents, right? <laughs> She's like, oh, if I took my mom to that. She'd be like, "Oh my goodness, what is this?" Well, like, <laughs> my mom wasn't too into the premise of it, but by the time it ended, she's like, "Oh, it wasn't even really about that. Like, that movie's about getting old." Yeah, and I was like, yeah. "Yes," and how scary it is. 
I was talking about this with someone like for a movie that's about porn, like there really isn't that much sex in it at all. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a very small yeah. portion of the film. So I feel like a lot of people are going to be like turned off by the premise and not want to see it. But that's it's really not what it's about. So, yeah. And it's like the women aren't being exploited in it. No, the men are. no. Like the scene with Kate yeah. Cuddy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> there was a I, debate if that was digital or not. And I'm like totally digital. No yeah. way. No, no way. <laughs> and if not, good for him. Like <laughs> trust, trust me, when I went to the early screening of that, like at the New Beverly this week, that, that scene popped up and the room just lit up like <gasps> Oh my god. It was it was great. Um Aside from that, uh, I've been kind of doing the Madison thing where it's like, oh, I'm just going to watch every other Batman movie because I dug (laughs) Robert Pattinson's Batman so much. Uh, Oh, that's rad. And this week I got two Batman versus Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I, for some reason, decided to watch back to back. So it was like seven hours straight. Damn. Fuck. I've oh. never seen either one of those. I will I will say this. And and you know what? It might be a hot take, but when you watch those two movies back to back, they a thousand percent work. Really? Um, yeah. I That's feel a like a long time. That's a yeah, commitment. It's a it's a commitment. <laughs> That's a whole work day. <laughs> it's it's almost bold that like Zack Snyder made this like three hour epic setting up a bunch of shit that wasn't gonna be paid off for like a year or longer i mean obviously obviously the stuff bbs sets up is supposed to pay off in justice league but obviously production issues like prevented that from happening but now that like they're both out and you can watch them back to back um it's like crazy you're just like wow like as much as i don't like modern superhero movies because i feel like they're mostly just advertisements for future installments or just like marketing um it's kind of refreshing to watch something that like feels like an actual like vision or like something that somebody wanted to craft in the superhero genre. It's like it may not it may not land a hundred percent of the time, but you kind of have to appreciate like the bold swings that it takes. Raina knows I'm a Snyder Snyderverse stand, so I appreciate this conversation. <laughs> I am not, but I do like what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, actually. That makes sense. I respect that. I still don't really like the movies, but no, I but think like, you're right about that. But but it's like <laughs> like yeah, it is very clearly like a passion project and you can see his very bold vision. It's not really the vision for me, but I, I can see it and it's, you know, it's commendable. Yeah, yeah. I think my main complaint is like how they look visually. Yes, they're very <laughs> But muted. I love them still. They're just so uh, but I love Zack Snyder, so yeah. Well, That's did fair. you watch the the Snyder cut in black and white? I haven't yet. Um I did. <laughs> I figure it's not that it's much fun. different because it's uh, not very different, but yeah, because Justice League has a very <laughs> muted color palette. Um yeah. I think the thing that really seals it home for me is like even before I was a Snyder fan, but I read Vanity Fair's article on the production troubles of justice league and they interviewed Mm -hmm. him after the snyder cut dropped and he was talking about how he genuinely like didn't do it for the fans that were asking for it he did it as like closure on that period of his life that yeah that was a rough time for him 
Yeah, for yeah. listeners who don't know, Zack Snyder left Justice League in the midst of uh, his daughter, unfortunately, uh, committing suicide. And he says initially he didn't want to go back to it, but he almost did it out of out of obligation to like move forward with his life. And yeah. initially, I guess Warner Brothers just like knew he had the rough cut on his laptop. And they're like, oh, just drop it as is. Like, don't even edit it. Just do the rough cut with like no music, no visual effects. And like Zack Snyder was like, Fuck you. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. editing my shit. Like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. He's I'm like, taking complete ownership. Yeah, exactly. He was he was basically like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because you guys are probably just going to kind of frame this narrative around it of like, see, look, it wasn't much better. So he actually convinced them to like let him finish it. And during, that's what he did during the pandemic. And you know what? Like I said, like it or not, you just kind of have to commit to somebody like that. Um. He didn't even get paid for it. He did it all for free. Yep. Oh, shit. Which, which is wild. It was um, one of the yeah. reasons what made me want to check it out. I've, I haven't seen it. I actually, I haven't seen Justice League, Man of Steel, but Man vs. Superman. I'm not really into superhero movies, as you can see. But um, the way of how like passionate he was about it. And I like Zack Snyder. I, I, I like his stuff. I, 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 I respect him as a filmmaker as well. Like I, I really enjoyed 300 and Dawn of the Dead, of course. I actually even kind of like Sucker Punch, even though I kind of don't like Sucker Punch. I love Sucker Punch. I love <laughs> Sucker Punch. I'm a fan. <laughs> It's fun. I, it's got a bad story, but it's fun. It's a horrible it's, story. Yeah, but, but it's so fun. It's so fun. It, it's literally if Suspiria was a, I don't know, a, a, a superhero movie in a way. But, Jesus. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I love it, actually. Like, that might See, be the reason. <laughs> I'm telling you. Because so, I love Suspiria. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird movie. It's a weird movie. But I enjoy his stuff. So, like, I, I, I do kind of want to go back and, like, check out a few of his stuff like i i haven't seen wonder woman uh, so like i can't say that i've seen any of those films but the way that he just seems so passionate about it and mm -hmm. how he kind of told warner brothers like fuck you this is the last thing i'm doing and yeah. i'm gonna do it my way and we're never gonna talk to each other again and <laughs> they're like oh, oh okay all right yeah. it was the breakup mixtape <laughs> <laughs> he dipped and he was like i'm making more zombies <laughs> yeah i have mad respect for him um prince if you do watch it uh i would recommend uh i recommend the 4k physical release for this reason okay. and this reason alone the movie is split up on two discs that's how long ah uh, okay wow so it's like one night just watch disc one the other night just watch disc two <laughs> Okay. Oh God, that's commitment. I know. Yeah, like it is it is long. I mean, if I could do it for a Stephen King flick, I could do it for this, right? Like you Oh know, man. Like yeah. Yeah, it chapter two was three hours. Holy hell, they really did yeah. like mass budgeted really? three hour horror movie. Yeah, yeah, three hours. Yeah, two three hours, hours and fifty minutes technically. I but saw yes, that movie multiple times in theaters, and I don't think it ever hit me that it was that oh, long. No, yeah, see, it's I felt that runtime. Yeah, I felt it too. I Although I am waiting for that supercut. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so funny um but yeah that's what i've been watching um <laughs> now that oh i caused this wild ass tangent to go on about Zack Snyder, uh, everybody go watch uh dawn of the dead it's written by james gunn it's a fucking blast um oh, dawn of the dead's amazing yes. yes 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 but um yeah 
uh, let's take a quick breather real fast for an ad read from our wonderful brand new sponsor. Folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bring you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love for the 1999 classic The Mummy to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They even have super soft t-shirts based off the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to the movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping and for our listeners you can enter the code super windsor in all caps to receive 10 percent off your entire order if the spirit moves you find them at superyaki.com let's, let's watch, watch more movies. movies and we're back um steph you want to introduce what movie we're covering this week Yes, I would be delighted to introduce the movie that we're talking about today, and that is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, released in 2019. It was directed by Joe Talbot from a screenplay written by him and Rob Richard, starring Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, Tashina Arnold, Rob Morgan, Mike Epps, Finn Whitrock, and Danny Glover. The film follows Jimmy and his best friend Mont as they try to reclaim the house built by Jimmy's grandfather, launching them on a poignant odyssey that connects them to their past, even as it tests their friendship and sense of belonging in the place that they call home. It was released by A24 on a budget of $2 million. The film went on to gross $4.6 million at the box office, and the critically acclaimed film currently sits at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, where critics have said, an affecting story powerfully told, The Last Black Man in San Francisco immediately establishes director Joe Talbot as a filmmaker to watch. All right, who wants to take the reins on this one first? I mean, I can. <laughs> yeah, yes, by all means, please. <laughs> I asked you on here for a reason. <laughs> yes, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco is an extremely special movie to me. Um, one, it was filmed in the neighborhood I grew up in, and I actually currently live in this neighborhood still to this day, which it's the Bayview District in San Francisco, obviously. <laughs> but... Um, it being filmed here, never seeing my neighborhood on screen before, unless it was in like, like just dirty kind of hood flicks that you can only get from your local bootlegger. Like it, it was just seeing it like this was just such a love story to this neighborhood and what's going on in this neighborhood and uh, what's going on in the in the city entirely, but mainly focused on like what is just happening in this particular neighborhood. Because Jimmy's house is, or grandfather's house or his dad's house, whatever you want to call it, Jimmy's house is technically in the... Uh, Technically, it's the Fillmore District by the Painted Ladies from Full House. Um, but with that being said, like it, it is really telling on how 
gentrification and how the city has just changed in so many years. Like for me, for example, I had to join tech just to kind of make a living here. Uh, I did not want to join tech in the beginning. And I was just like, cool, I'm not going to be able to survive unless I join the folks who are kind of taking over the area. Um, so I had to do what I could do in order to stay here and call this place home still. And me still living in the neighborhood, it's not the greatest neighborhood. Um, it, it, it is technically still the hood, like literally where this movie was filmed two blocks up it's the projects not even kidding like when you see when you see jimmy and montgomery sitting on that rock and you slightly look up there's a gate that's the projects literally right there and i don't know jimmy personally but i have seen jimmy around san francisco he is a san francisco native he actually used to skate with my friend benny gold really cool shit seeing them kind of skating around every now and then but all the things that you would see him do with like montgomery riding on his skateboard as well that was stuff i did as a child like we had to do this stuff to just get around and maneuver our way around the city because we didn't have much to our name didn't have money to ride the bus or anything like that and all the things you kind of see him doing like even just hopping on the back of the trolley and then jumping off like that was real shit like we did that stuff in some ways we still kind of do but seeing all of that and just having it be such a love letter and even joe like joe's telling this story in such a artistic way was incredible because joe talbot uh, is also a Bay Area native as well. He went to um, the uh, San Francisco School of Arts um, in the, I want to say it's uh, the Laguna Honda um, area. But when he went to school over there, uh, him learning all this stuff with film and things like that, like he made a short film and I'm blanking on the name of it, but he made a short film that was kind of like a precursor to this. And it being specifically... I guess, based off of the fact of how the city just changes. It's called American Paradise. But it, it's such a fascinating story to me personally that in some ways feels like it's kind of telling my life story because of me growing up in this neighborhood in the Bayview District. The reason why I actually have this house right now is because of my grandmother or my great-grandmother, I should say. Because uh, my great-grandmother actually moved here during the Great Migration in the 1940s, where she came on by herself. She had five kids at the time, and she had to leave them all back in Louisiana just so she can come here to make a living for them during the Great Depression. And when she came here, she worked on the Navy shipyard, and she actually built um, objects on the ships for the Navy. And that was her job. She was pretty much a Rosie the Riveter. And when she was building all these things and the war ended and all that great stuff. Uh, hooray, we won. Um, she transitioned and was just like, cool, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I have my kids in Louisiana still and they're just there. So she became a janitor and she ended up buying eight homes in San Francisco on a janitorial salary. And we have all of those homes still in our name to this day. So it's 
insane. She was able to bring her kids here. They were they saw a working toilet for the first time when they got here, besides having to go into an outhouse. And my family have been here ever since. So I'm a second generation San Franciscan. So for me personally, it's really hard for me to want to leave here because I feel like my family has built such a legacy here. Uh, but yet it's gentrifying so rapidly that it kind of makes it tough. And I feel like that's what this movie definitely is kind of harking on because we see uh, Jimmy, who is kind of like a nurse assistant at this kind of hospice place. And then we see Montgomery, who works inside of a deli, uh, which was the deli on Third Street. <laughs> it's called Supermarket. Um, and it looks just like that. <laughs> but uh, so him working there. And you can kind of tell, like, these dudes don't have much to their names. So they're just trying to figure out their life and things like that. And um, even that blue house that Montgomery and his father lives live in, uh, played by Donald Glover, uh, or, or Donald Glover, Danny Glover, excuse me, not Childish Gambino. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with that house that was there, like, that house literally is right down the street from me and I pass it every single day. And um, the coolest people live there too. Like the money that they made on allowing Joe Talbot to shoot their kind of their outside of their house, they were able to repaint their house. They were able to get their lawn fixed and all this stuff, things that were deteriorating around their house and they didn't have money to do it. They were able to do it because of the last black man in San Francisco. And I just find that to be really, really cool. That's amazing. Sorry, that was so long-winded. Wow. No. But- <laughs> no wow. How do we follow up on that? I know. <laughs> yeah. I am so glad that you're our guest this week. That's amazing. That is so cool that you have such a personal connection with the movie. I had no idea. That is really oh, awesome. It, 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 wow. I'm like kind of astounded because I think even at one point, Jimmy says that his grandfather came from New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah. So oh I'm like, God. wow, you have yeah. wow. such a personal connection to this yeah. film. It's it's weird how close this movie is to my life. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> That's wow. crazy. Wow. And then like the, the rest of us were just like, oh, it'd be cool to cover this movie on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. When you asked me about this movie, I was like, yeah, 100%. Like, I, I'm literally looking at the neighborhood it was filmed in right now as you asked me this. <laughs> It, it is crazy. Um, Madison, um, you're the one who initially uh, suggested this movie. Can you fill in fill us in on why you wanted to cover it? Oh, for sure. Um, it's nothing near as cool as that story. <laughs> but um, uh, Yeah, I'm not a San Francisco native. I re- moved here very recently in November. And the week that I moved here, um, I was shown this movie for the first time. Um, and it was kind of like a little initiation into living here. And I fell in love with it. I loved it so much. I think it is shot so beautifully. Like every single shot in the film is gorgeous. They make it so romantic, like their day-to-day life. Um, Definitely. It just, it has this whimsical, like fantasy aspect to it, even though it's very simple day-to-day things that people are doing. And it's just beautiful. I loved it. I think the acting in it is fantastic. I can't believe that it's the director's debut film because it seems like a masterclass for directing, in my opinion. And the fact that it was a first-timer film 
blows my mind. Um, I just think the story is really beautiful. I had to leave Seattle. Um, I, I left Seattle because the neighborhood I was in was getting gentrified and I would never, ever be able to afford to live there on my own. Um, and it was really heartbreaking and I chose San Francisco, which is very expensive, but I live somewhere very cheap. So it's, it's different. But, um, <laughs> I was just about to say like yeah. you chose San Francisco over yeah, Seattle. <laughs> I, live, I actually am paying the same amount here as I was in Southern California. So I'm very lucky. Um, oh, that is lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, where I wanted to live in Seattle, I would never have been able to. Um, so I felt that and maybe not on like as, as personal of a level, but, um, it is something I saw happening to the neighborhood I lived in for a long time. Uh, coffee shops were popping up and local businesses were shutting down and all of that. Um, but no, I just think this movie is amazing. I, I cried the first time I saw it, like pretty hard. Um, I, That's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to see it. Like it had been suggested to me before, um, but uh I hadn't gotten around to it. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is like a new favorite movie. This is spectacular. It was so well done. Um, and I don't feel like I hear people talking about it enough, which is why I suggested it because, you know, A24 movies always get all the hype, but this one didn't. And I thought that was kind of not cool considering how amazing it is. So that's yeah, why I suggested it. A lot it. of people were upset about that, that this yeah, movie didn't I mean, get enough push. Um, it's ridiculous. So this movie was interesting when it first came out, uh, another A24 film came out literally around the same exact time, which was, uh, the one that had Aquafina in it. And I'm blanking out on the name. The Farewell. The Farewell. Thank you. They pushed that film really hard versus this one where that film got on to like being nominated for Grammys and things like that. And this one had like zero buzz. So a lot of people were upset about that, rightfully so, because of the fact that like, like just because we have these predominant black cast in this film, it, it just made it seem like they weren't too keen on pushing this one as much. Um, which was interesting because it, it's a bummer because I personally think The Last Black Man in San Francisco is tremendously better than The Farewell. And not to shit on The Farewell. I actually really <laughs> enjoy The Farewell. Yeah, but I think yeah. I would much rather watch this movie. And not even because of the fact that I'm biased and I'm from here. I just gen- generally think it is the better movie, um, in my opinion. But I think it has better rewatch value as well. Like 100%. The Farewell was wonderful to see, but... It's not one I'd want to put on for fun. Where this one's heavy yeah. and sad, but it's like so beautiful that it's like, oh, yeah. I, I want to watch that movie. Like, yeah, absolutely. And another uh, another thing that Joe does in this movie that's really hard is making a whole city a character. Ugh. Like that is yes. so tough, and he does it so like nonchalantly. Like it just mm-hmm. because that's what San Francisco is. San Francisco is just a character. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's it's so <laughs> much life here that it, it's it's weird. Like it, it's just it, you if you want to literally experience a different culture in San Francisco, you. You can just drive maybe 10 minutes into the city and go to the mission district to experience oh um, the more Hispanic side or, or yes, Latinx side of San people. Francisco. <laughs> if you want to go more towards like where you're experiencing more of an Afri- African-American or um, kind of black side of San Francisco, you have the Bayview district where you're able to enjoy soul food and things like that. Like if you want to experience um, 
Chinese or Japanese. We have China and Japantown, which we have the last Japantown in California. Like that, that's nuts. So like with things like that being said, the fact that Joe was able to artfully craft that into this story was mind-boggling because he just he he literally took something that we all know as just a city everyone knows san francisco when you talk about it and we all know it as the most expensive city right Mm -hmm. but as joe took just three neighborhoods nothing crazy plus an east bay area as well but with these three neighborhoods that he took it felt like you were experiencing san francisco like you've never experienced it before because we had Shang-Chi, which was also <laughs> filmed in San Francisco, or The Matrix, the Matrix which was also yeah. filmed in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that showed two pieces of San Francisco just downtown, or maybe Ghirardelli Square, things like yeah. that. Like where you're just like, uh, that's San Francisco, sure, but that is definitely a tourist attracted side exactly. of San Francisco, where this really brought breath and life to the city. It was amazing. Sorry again for taking over. I'm so no, sorry. No, thank you. No, <laughs> no literally, I love it. thank you so much. I'm so... It, it's like an honor to talk to someone so passionate about this. I love it. I don't know. Makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I actually I haven't seen this movie in like a year. I didn't get to rewatch it today because I was like, oh, crap, I got to do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. But this movie's pretty much my life. So it's just like, oh, no, I, I think it. I remember it. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Uh, Steph, what did you think about it? I loved it. Um, I I feel like I have such a different experience because I'm an East Coast baby. I don't know <laughs> anything about San Francisco. So this yeah. was also kind of like a learning experience for me. Like I, I really don't know anything about the city other than like what I've seen in movies, which isn't much. Like like you're saying, they're really I haven't seen it shown the way that it was shown in this movie. And it really is a character. And as someone who has never been there and has no really concept of what it is, I I could feel that this was a very devoted love story to San Francisco and that it was sort of through the lens of this character who's a dreamer and can't let go of his hometown and of his home. And he just loves it so much for all of its flaws and the, the good and the bad. And it was just like, even though I've never been there, I think that's something that everyone can relate to. Like the, the one line that really stuck with me was when he's talking to that girl who says she hates San Francisco. And he's like, well, do you love it? You, you can't hate it if you don't love it. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment. Like, yeah, we all kind of hate our hometown sometimes, but it's your home. It's like what built you and where you came from and you were raised by it. And to see such a beautifully shot and incredibly well acted and just very tender and compelling story represent that love letter to their hometown and to San Francisco was just a really incredible experience. And I I loved it. I'm so happy that you recommended this movie because I... <laughs> I had heard about it a little bit, but I really do think it was overshadowed by the farewell and whatever else was going on at that time because I have never really heard anyone talk about it. And I probably would have never seen it if we didn't do it on this pod. And I'm so, so grateful. (laughs) 
That makes me so, that's the purpose of the pod, you know? It makes me so happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think this is bumped up to one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, wow. it's on the list. It's, that's it amazing. Was, yeah, I, I just loved it. It was so good. Great job, Madison, for putting this on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Raina, what did you think? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I hated this movie. It's abysmal. <laughs> I hated this. It's terrible. I couldn't relate. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm 100% kidding. Uh, like Prince said, this was the movie that A24 really pushed in 2019. And at the time, I was living in Phoenix and working at AMC. So, you know, free movies. I used to just go see any and everything. And I really wanted to see this. Um, like one theater in Phoenix got this. And for for perspective, I want to say there's at least like 18 AMCs in the greater Phoenix area. And like one theater got this. So I had to go out of my way to kind of seek it out and I just fell in love with this movie as a Southern California native lived here for most of my life. Basically it was great seeing this other side of the state that I had no knowledge of. You think, Oh, you can live like in California all your life. And it's like, Oh, I know this state. And you see this other side of it and you're like, Oh, maybe I don't. Uh, (laughs) So it, I thought it was a very beautiful look into it. I'm always down for movies that talk about gentrification, especially because that's like one of the biggest issues here in California right now. Like not just up in the Bay Area, but kind of everywhere. Lower income minority families are like just kind of being pushed out of their homes that they've called at home for generations. Yeah. And it's kind of sickening to watch. Um, But on the technical side of this film, I fell in love with it. I love how it's almost like stage lighting and everything's almost framed as if it's a play. So amazing. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic because there's an actual play scene in it. I believe this movie was supposed to be a play. Yeah. it. The screenplay really reads like one. Like, yeah. Especially yeah. with the fact that there's only like three or four locations in the film, I want to say. This was also my first exposure to Jonathan Majors as an actor. King. Yes, I ever since this, like my wife has been addicted to his work. She's like, I want to see everything he's in. Like, I'm like, all right, let's see everything he's in. Then let's watch it all. Um, Can't wait for Creed 3. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Creed 3. I, like, honestly, like it's the only reason why I'm excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, <laughs> because he's coming back as King yes. the Conqueror. And I'm just, I love seeing him on screen. Like he just has a perfect presence about him and the first time i saw him he was in a movie called white boy rick and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i was just like oh man this dude is this dude is good like this he's a good actor like holy shit like where'd they find this guy and um when i really started like kind of seeking him out a little bit and i saw that he was going to be in the last black man in san francisco and i saw him when i was driving to my house oh my i was like God. holy shit that's the guy from white boy Ring. <laughs> but like it when they were filming this movie because they were just filming it literally right down the hill as i stated earlier but when i saw that he was going to be in it i was like oh shit like this is pretty cool and it's so funny my wife was she hit me up and we just moved back to this area because before this we lived in a little town called san mateo which is maybe uh maybe 20 minutes south from san francisco yeah. um yeah. 
And we moved here in 2018, right after we got married, because um, this was my mom's home that we live in currently, um, where she wasn't living in it. She was just renting it out to travel nurses at the time. So she was like, all right, here's a wedding gift for you. You have the house. I was like, wow, that's a hell of a wedding gift. Thank you. Um, so long story short, my wife was like, they're filming a music video down the hill. I'm like, what? And she's like, oh yeah, they're God. filming a music video. Like, it, it it sounds like crazy down there. And it's like, that's cool. All right. You know, we are kind of in the hood. Shit like that happens. Hood antics. Let's go. So I went over there. And I was just like, I know some of these guys from like elementary school that I went to school with. And they're just like regular dudes. And like, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And that's when I found out that they were making this movie. And I was, and I was like, that's really cool. Okay, cool. That's All so right. Cool. Like, make the movie. Um, they wouldn't tell me the name of it at the time. And then when I saw the trailer for Last Black Man in San Francisco, I was like, oh, fuck, that was the movie. That yeah. was the movie that they were literally yeah. recording. And this is amazing. So, like, I'm, I'm excited to watch it when i finally get in to watch this movie at the alamo draft house uh there's there's a scene in this movie that speaks volumes on san francisco in general is when uh, jimmy is talking to the lawyer the property lawyer and right outside of his window, you see the new mission sign. Mm-hmm. That new mission mm-hmm. sign is the Alamo is Draft the Alamo. House. That I watched yeah. the movie. Yep. Yeah. I worked there for a little bit. You worked, at you that worked at that Alamo? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, like, it's, it, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, this, it feels meta, but like, yeah. it's just the fact that we're watching in San Francisco, but it was in the tiniest portion of the Alamo Draft House. And I was just super bummed out about that. But, Hey, I mean, hopefully, I, I feel like still this movie's not getting the recognition it deserves, but hopefully eventually it does. So that like kind of leads me into my next point. Like, why do you think it's like underseen or underappreciated? Do you think there's numerous factors or like, let's dissect it of why we think people haven't seen this movie? I feel like a few things definitely go into why a few people haven't seen this movie or why a lot of people haven't seen this movie. Um, Robert Daniels probably, and Robert Daniels, for those who don't know, is a film critic who's very highly regarded, who wrote for Polygon, IndieWire, LA Times, Playlist, deuce of shit. But he wrote a fantastic piece on The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I feel like helped a lot of people watch this movie. Um, But without him or anything like that, like I feel like a lot of people haven't watched this film based off of the marketing alone. Like I feel like the marketing just does not hit the mark and it's hard for me to promote this movie because I'm in the horror sector. Right. So like it's really tough for me to be like, yo, watch this film. It's nuts. Um, It's just weird that a lot of people seem to not want to give this film a chance. Uh, And I just wish more people covered it. I feel like the lack of coverage and the uh, ability of, of accessibility, I guess, for this film as well, or maybe feeling like that they're not from here because it, it is kind of a sector where it's the last black man of San Francisco. So like in some ways, like some folks may not understand why it's this, but, but I just feel like this film just really has, uh, I guess in some way, 
it it got shafted by A24 alongside of its shafted side of A24. Uh, A24 has a huge reputation of highlighting the films that they know are going to be hits and kind of diminishing the films that they know are not going to be hits or or feel that are not going to be hits or something like that, which sucks because A24 is, as we know, they're in some ways everyone's fucking pinnacle of something, which they literally made Spring Breakers in the bling ring. What? But <laughs> um, when you have things like that, where you have Life After Beth, they, you, most people don't even know that's an A24 movie. You have Tusk. Yeah. Most people don't know that's an A24 movie. Like You have these films that just kind of get sidelined and not talked about in some ways like uh for example even if we can go even further the monster um american honey uh gosh uh manashi woodstock it's interesting because i felt like moonlight was like that until it won best picture at the academy awards absolutely yeah no you're 100 right like moonlight was like that as well and like these are films that for some reason i don't know why they don't put the love and care into them like they would do eighth grade or mid nineties or, um, high life under the silver Lake. Like these are films that uh, midsummer, like these are films that they, that they push so heavily. And if, if we even talk about their 2019 roster of what came out that year, I guarantee you, you probably only heard about maybe two of them, but we had the farewell. Climax, The Hole in the Ground, Outlaws, Gloria Bell, High Life, Native Son, Under the Silver Lake, The Souvenir, Last Black Man San Francisco, Midsummer, Skin, Share, The Death of Dick Long, Low Tide, The Lighthouse, The Elephant Queen, The Kill Team, Waves, and Fabrics, Uncut Gems. That was all 2019. Wow. And out of those that I just named, like, I most people probably know five. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it's... It, it's unfortunate on the ones that they want to push heavily and the ones that they don't want to push too heavily on. And that that's a bummer. That's, my, that's my, one of my main gripes about A24 is that they feels like they don't like the shit that they put out. Like plain blunt and it just it is what it is. Like it, it seems like they really know what is the A24 cell mark and they kind of stick with that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you have seen like kind of this like shift with them with oh we're gonna put out these little indies like they were like a small distribution company at first and now it's like unless the project can like produce hype beast like merch or gain an instant following online it's like we're not gonna push it like as much as i love x i mean they knew they knew that one was gonna be like an instant hit so much that they did an entire clothing drop around it exactly um which is kind of interesting when you look back on Last Black Man in San Francisco because that one just got like a boutique like home video release from them randomly. It's like their second yeah. one after Midsommar. And it was a, an expensive one, like $75. And I have it. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It, it is beautiful. It, it's, it's really amazing. It, and I'm glad that they did put that out. And I'm glad it sold out. But yeah, they released a t-shirt and a map. And that was it. Oh, I remember the map. I remember yeah. I tried buying it when it dropped, but like it sold out like instantly. 
Yeah. And like supposedly they only made a hundred of them. So it's like they do shit like that where I'm just like, you guys are shysty. <laughs> so when they do things like that, it just it I don't know. It makes me it makes me wonder because like if you have something like the disaster artist, for example, it won awards. Like it won best actor or yeah, best actor in musical and comedy for Golden Globes and things like that, and best motion picture it was nominated for even. And yet the last black man and granted. Shout out to the indie scene for allowing Last Black Man to still breathe. Um, but The Last Black Man only got like little shout outs and things like that for like indie award ceremonies. And that sounds backwards to me, especially for something as predominant as A24, where you have someone like Neon that seems to push every film they do. I don't know. That seems a little opposite to me in, in someone so predominant as like A24 that has the gusto and has the ability to push something like The Last Black Man in San Francisco to the heights that it deserved to be pushed in. Um, and not to say these other films didn't, because they do, but it, it just it makes me wonder like why why these films and why even like the indie horror films and things like that like the super indie ones we're not talking about our Ari Asters or our Robert Eggers here we're talking about Gaspar Noe who's a predominant French uh, director whose film climax is literally only known within the horror circuit like what that sounds so backwards to me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh, to insane. be fair, I don't think Gaspar Noe has really done a film that I think the mainstream crowd could really get down with. <laughs> Definitely not. But at the same time, it's just like, I, yeah, I get what you mean. Still and has that gusto, you know, and it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting, yeah, that you do bring up Neon and like how they're almost the antithesis of it, where they they push every movie they like put out like pretty hard, with the exception of one or two. I'm not seeing too much hype around memoria for some reason um, oh that's true but uh, for the most part like even looking at what they like just recently put out they pushed each one of their films pretty hard even like even stuff that you know even little monsters yeah <laughs> yeah they gave it a one night screening theatrically and then threw it on hulu but it had promotion yeah like people knew it existed i don't yeah this movie really got shafted because I think out of all those like 2019 releases you pushed, like Last Black Man in San Francisco is better than the majority of them. They are. like, And, and it's it's silly. It is silly. I, I just I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I feel like if this was released even just a couple years earlier, they might have pushed it more because it, it feels like A24 has slowly been like as they're growing they're also trying to like build their brand and they've yeah. i feel like they've been getting more and more selective with what they want to promote they sell basketball shorts of all things for like 80 dollars. <laughs> hey those shorts are slappers okay 80 dollar <laughs> basketball shorts yeah but like that's the thing like they used to be this like little indie distribution yeah and and now they're like a luxury brand and they're, it's just they're the supreme of the movie independent world. horror film scene like like that that's <laughs> truly what they are and it, it's interesting because like you have something pushed so heavily like um let, let's even let's even say like the films that are just came out right like in the red in the rocket. 2020s red rocket 
didn't get promoted. Did not get promoted. False positive, which wasn't great, but still didn't really get much promotion. Um, but when you take something like Lamb, the Green Knight, Zola, the Souvenir Part 2, Come On, Come On, like these are films that were promoted um, enough to have that particular amount of gusto behind the A24 stature. Even Boy State was another one that was also promoted extremely heavily on Apple TV+. So like, but if you take Sofia Coppola, for example, she had a film called On the Rocks, which was incredible, but it was like zero promotion. And it was it was fucking Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. Like, come on. I own that movie. I love it. It's so um, good. It's so it's good. good. I, I think even stuff like I like I swear Tragedy and Macbeth still fl- flew under the radar. And that's like Denzel in yeah. that movie. And a Coen brother. And a Coen brother. Yeah, which like, is it, insane. Absolutely insane when yeah. you get something like Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse that was promoted heavily as a black and white movie. And it was like, oh, look at me. I'm a black and white movie. And it's just like, cool. That's awesome. Let's see The Lighthouse. And then The Tragedy of Macbeth gets a 58 second trailer only. I, I also think it's so strange that The Lighthouse was, I feel like it was promoted pretty heavily and most yeah. people know about it or have seen it. And yet it was such a weird, like I I personally loved this movie, but it was such a strange, inaccessible movie that it seems yeah. so strange that they would have promoted it as heavily as they did. I got, I got two words for you of why they did that. The witch. Yep. So Robert yeah. Eggert's pretty much like started the whole A24 gaze with the witch after the witch kind of got released like we started seeing the thema- the the themes i guess with a24 films like and robert eggers kind of started that prior to that you would get things like ben wheatley's free fire which was pretty much a free for all match in call of duty or you would get <laughs> that's a fun <laughs> that's, one i like that one <laughs> i love that one but then in and a lot of people don't um give our boy alex garland enough credit for this but in my opinion alex garland was the true person who really started the a24 gaze but no one gives him credit for that uh, they give that credit to Eggers um, with Ex Machina. Alex Garland created Ex Machina for Angel yes. Four. Amazing Perfection. movie, right? One of my favorites. It's so great. And it's a beautiful sci-fi flick, but yet we don't have that artistic lens on how the witch does, you know? And mm-hmm. ever since then, everyone seems to kind of want to kind of mold their film in an artistic lens such as that one but it's interesting it's interesting um that Eckers was the one who started that when prior to that just a little bit prior not not much and not even too prior they were filmed different times but you had the green room for example or green room um by jeremy solner and with green room it definitely does not feel like an A24 movie. <laughs> no, hell no. Like, that, that feels does like not a, feel like a an A24 movie. movie. Yes. And like you even if you have something like that and then you even like even Free Fire, like Free Fire does not feel like an A24 movie either. Like no. you you take these films like and if we even go early, early, the only one out of all their movies from like 2013 to two, which I think that's when they're established to 2016, that feels like an A24 movie. I can only name three Ex Machina, 
Under the Skin and uh, The Witch. Really? Because I think of Most Violent Year also. Oh, yeah. Most Violent Year as well. That makes sense because like uh, that being that's Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, that crime drama flick. So, yeah, even then, yeah, a most violent year as well. But was that four? <laughs> yeah, that's like four. Because they used to take more risks, like they did yeah. with like Barely Lethal, Laggies, um, even like Bling Ring. Yeah, Bling Ring. That movie like low key sucks. The movie's and, not like, good, but they, they took out. that risk. And it's it's interesting. I would even maybe consider Enemy as well, maybe. But even then, Enemy doesn't really have that artistic lens. Like, Enemy is just a psychological drama. Like, it's just, it's nothing crazy big about that. I love Enemy, though. I really love Enemy a lot. It's interesting <laughs> because I feel like in 2019, when Last Black Man in San Francisco came out, the ones they really doubled down on were Uncut Gems, oh, uh, heavily. Midsommar, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, Euphoria. Yes, yeah, Euphoria That's- as well. That's the year that dropped. I mean, because what the hole in the ground, which also doesn't feel like an A twenty four movie, the no. like no one knows about that movie. <laughs> I I only know about that movie because the director is the one doing a the Evil Dead mid, Rise. Yeah, the next yeah. Evil Dead. Which, so that's the only reason I know that movie. Yeah, and I only heard of it when I was scrolling through Amazon one day, and it was on Amazon Prime, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And that's when I checked it out. But so, so it's like real interesting. It's like I always give a twenty four shit, and I'm sure there's more factors. But I always say if they can't make merch of the movie, they won't promote it. <laughs> yeah, Which I mean, I'm it's sure probably true. It, I'm sure it might not be true. I'd like to hope it's not true, but I, I hope not either. And not to shit on a twenty four. I mean, they can afford to, sh- to be shit on, but. Not to shit on them too much. Like they do put out a lot of movies that I love. So I, yeah. I, I have to admit that. Um, I was gonna say the but, whole opening of this podcast was us praising X and everything yeah. everywhere all at once. So come right. on. So like I, I, they put yeah. out a lot of shit that we love, um, which is great. Definitely keep putting out more movies. Just treat your movies fairly. That's it. Like that's that's all we're asking. Literally, just treat all of them at the same playing field. Like you give a shit. Because um, if you take something like the Black Coat's Daughter, for example, where they forced um, Oz Perkins to change the name, they're like, we don't like that name. Like, because the name was February at first, because all the events happened in February. Which I prefer that name. That's how I watched it during a film festival and it just it flows better as February and just makes more sense um, but the song that Oz Perkins brother wrote was the Black Coat's Daughter and they're just like I guess we'll use that like that sounds cool like and they loved it and they're just like it doesn't really make sense for our story but okay <laughs> so that was it so here's how I feel about a24 um and this is gonna be my closing statement on them is pretty much you can't hate something unless you love it so hey i'm gonna use that in full circle last (laughs) unless you love it which is a thousand percent true um madison you got some interesting tidbits about this movie for us I sure do. I'm so excited. Okay. I hope I don't butcher this. I'm, I get very nervous when I'm reading. In the scene where Becca is sitting on the bus, she has a pair of glasses in her pocket. The same glasses that Enid, the character that she portrays in Ghost World wears. So she's wearing the same glasses in both, which is pretty cool. Um, 
Joe Talbot is a big fan of that film, and Thora Birch joked about Becca and Enid being the same character, which is really funny. She literally is. That actually is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she literally is the same. I did not even think about that until like right now. The movie is like very inspired by Gross World when you think about it. Like yeah. I didn't notice it until I read it, and I was like, "Oh shit, it totally is." That makes total sense. I love Ghost World. What a flick. That's a good one. <laughs> Joe Talbot received advice on how to break into the film industry from a cold email he sent to Barry Jenkins, director of Moonlight and the Underground Railroad, which is amazing. That's so cool. Oh, shit. That's I think cool. uh, I think at the time Barry Jenkins hadn't even really like had a breakout hit yet. I think it was like, if I read correctly, it was like 2008 that Joe Talbot got in touch with him. That's super cool. The film was initially on Kickstarter where it raised $77,000 and garnered a national interest and distributors took notice, which is really interesting. I was reading about the Kickstarter earlier today and I think that's like a crazy way for this film to have gotten started, especially because it looks, it, it is all filmed in like one spot with a very small cast, but it looks high budget. It's just beautiful. So I think it's super cool Mm -hmm. that it was started on Kickstarter. Um, And then uh, constant demolitions and construction complicated the shooting of the film, which is hilarious because, well, it's sad, but it's also hilarious because like that's kind of the point of the movie is that the neighborhood's being torn down um, and it caused difficulty for shooting, which is really interesting. And I think it's really cool. I was reading an article earlier about how um, uh, Jimmy, it's like, his real life like he really grew up here like you said earlier um Mm -hmm. and it was really heavily inspired by his life and his childhood and i just think that's a really that's really interesting and like not everyone knows that i mean obviously we talked about it a lot but i think that's a really cool fact so yeah those are my fun facts for the movie indeed very fun Um, (laughs) yeah gentrification is always fun (laughs) Yeah. yeah I remember when the when that street was getting shut down too. <laughs> you know what movie this one make a bitch and double feature with? Which one? Uh, Blind Spotting. Oh my oh, god, hell I yeah. love that movie. I, I've done that double feature. <laughs> that, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's God, true. you have both of them, right? You got the city and the town. That's what we call them as natives, I guess. Um, we call them the city and the town in mm. Oakland has its own like set of history and just see him like those two over there too is fucking incredible Raphael Cassiel and uh, uh god why am I playing on his name Diggs. David Diggs thank you seeing them over there just doing that shit fascinating and really cool y'all should listen to Clippin if y'all haven't heard of his uh I love, oh, I've oh, seen them yeah. so funny <laughs> They are so, so ridiculous. Like yes. they, they are hilarious, and it, it's the, the type of shit like that they do is amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's not like Bay, but like it, it's weird. I love them. The label they were on is Sub Pop. So when I was living in Seattle, like they do a lot of shows there because that's where their label was, which was an indie label. Um, so I love them. That, I'm so glad you brought that that's up. That's so cool. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> I love that song that like it sounds like he's almost like rapping over to the theme like to Halloween. Oh, I yes. what it's called. Yeah. I think it's called Nothing is Safe. Yes. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> I like heard it and I was like, this bangs. Yes. It's amazing. That just that little piano key. Oh, man. So Works good. so well. God damn it. Just shout out to Bay Area Films. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You know what? This is a celebration of the Bay Area. I realized this whole episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um before we head out do you guys have any closing statements on the last black man in san francisco watch it like watch it, seriously yeah. watch it this this movie honestly as we all kind of gloat about this movie it it's rightfully so watch this movie because i guarantee it will very much fill some type of void that you probably never even knew you had it is honestly so humble not only besides being incredible it also understands exactly what it's trying to say and portray and it's just right there in the front of us i'm gonna convince people to watch it with a more threatening motive uh i'm gonna <laughs> gatekeep jonathan majors from every marvel fan until they see this movie there you go <laughs> they're not allowed to like him until they see this movie you've That's been threatened and warned <laughs> exactly nobody can watch Creed three until they see this yes there you go i just wanted to before we wrap it up, I wanted to talk about the scene that really resonated with me and like the moment that I felt like I loved this movie because again, as someone who isn't really familiar with this area or with California in general, yeah. I kind of felt myself becoming attached to other parts of the movie that maybe aren't standouts for people who love San Francisco and are drawn to those elements. Um, but the scene in where they're doing the play and mm. Montgomery is sort of going off about Kofi who died um, and they're, it's sort of like a little memorial sort of thing to Kofi and they're all talking about him and who he was in his life. And um, Jimmy says, people aren't one thing. And that line just like, I don't, I don't know why it like gave me shivers. Like yeah. it hit me so deep in my core and he says something about how people put him in a box and he never pushed beyond it and we need to see beyond the stories that we're born into and just that whole monologue and that whole conversation was so beautifully written and the energy and everything about it was just beautiful and it was 100% the moment that I was like I am in love with this film <laughs> and I don't want to bring the the energy down or the, no, the tone it, of this down. episode Let's down do at the it. end. Um, not to be a, a big bummer here, but um, I think the reason this resonated me with me the most is because um, just a few months ago in November, my brother passed away. Mm. So any um, film or show or any scene about like a funeral or death or where they're commemorating someone who died, like they are in this scene. This this idea of don't remember someone by like where they came from or don't reduce someone's life to a moment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the energy and the vibe that I got from this scene. And it just really, really resonated with me. Sorry, I just kind of went on a rant about no, that, but I just really no. wanted to shout it out because I think it was yeah. so, so well done. And it really it really resonated with me. No, thank you for sharing and my yeah. deepest condolences as well. Thank you. Sorry, I really brought the mood down. No, no, you, <laughs> that was you, important. I'm glad you honestly, said it. Honestly, that that's exactly what this movie is, right? Yeah. Like it's just it's such a raw feeling that we all mm -hmm. feel. And you being from the East Coast, you still had this vibe of where you found connection through East versus West, mm -hmm. right? So like yeah. you found that within a film that was able to tell the story to you. 
and it told it mm-hmm. for you. So definitely take that and no worries. You did not bring the mood down that this movie <laughs> was told for you and you got that from it. So hold on to that. Definitely hold on. Right on. <laughs> and with that, I think that's another wrap of the, the club meeting. Um, Before we head out, Prince, uh, you got anything you're working on? Where can people find you on socials? Yeah, you can find me, obviously, in San Francisco if you wanted to. But you can also <laughs> find me on, over on Twitter at the head night. That's night with a K. You can also hear my voice on Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. That's also night with a K. By all means, please feel free to support me. Um, and thank you once again to all three of you absolute blast this movie was fun it was fun to bag on a24 as well because i don't get to do that but uh (laughs) this was a blast so thank y'all so much for inviting me on this has been so much fun if if i could do it again and you guys want me to do it again i'm down like this was a blast a lot of fun yeah please do hell yeah um madison where can people find you Yes, I am on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch at Maddie underscore Amadala. And I have a Star Wars podcast. Uh, and the point of that podcast is uplifting women in the fandom. Uh, that's at oh, Night that's Sisters rad. Pod. Yeah, thank you so much. I love it. Um, that's <laughs> at Night Sisters Pod. Our first episode of like the new season with that focus is coming out really soon. So I'm really excited. Please go check it out. And it's on Apple and Spotify at Night Sisters Podcast. Sick. Wonderful. Uh, Steph, where can everyone find you? What you got going on? Um, you can find me at Steph Koza on all the social platforms. Um, and you can also find me on YouTube. I have a channel called Steph Koza vs. the Movies where I watch movies and talk about them and TV shows and all the things. And I also have a website called Cinema Vixens that I'm slowly bringing back to life where I do written reviews and um, trying to work on building that up into something larger with uh, lots of contributors, primarily women and the LGBTQ community. Um, so that's kind of like a little passion project that I've been working on that I want to shout out. But oh, um, so yeah, cool. That's really cool. <laughs> you guys are doing such cool shit. <laughs> and then you can find me on all social medias at JFC Doomblade. You can find my work being published pretty regularly around the web, but most of the time as of late, been doing a lot of finger work for Fangoria. Like I just had two pieces drop with them. One of them, a history of the very first Resident Evil movie in which I dive into its production going from a George Romero film to a Jamie Blanks film to a, what we ended up with as well as a deep dive into the Devil Wears Prada zombie EPs. Check them out if you want. If not, I get it. Also, you can find the pod at Windsor Film Club on all social medias, and you can find us on Apple and Spotify podcast. Please subscribe and give us a review because, you know, it really helps us out. We're slowly but surely growing, but we'll do our best. Uh, until next week, I will leave y'all to what you need to do. Deuce, y'all. Bye. 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 <laughs>